0: Hello everyone. This is Meng Fei Li from Beijing, China, and welcome to our brand new episode of The Missing Piece. I really appreciate your time to join our this special episode. In 2014, I made a visit to California, well not for sightseeing, but to visit one of the greatest places, the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library. I will never forget there was one section at the exhibit which caught my attention. Four images were hanging on the wall. They were Stalin, Castro, Mussolini, and Hitler. Underneath, the bold words shouted out to the visitors, ruthless dictators and treasure smugglers. On the 22nd of June 1941, the Germans invaded Soviet territory and entered Vilna on the 24th of June. Around 60,000 Jews live in Vilna, where they constituted 30% of the total population. The community of Vilna, which had flourished for hundreds of years, was decimated during the Second World War. Jewish history has been one of the forgotten parts of the human revolution for years across the world people would like to know more about the unique group and how they fought against the odds. Lately, I found one of the amazing books which documented more than just what we already find out and what we see in the museum today. The book is entitled The Book Smugglers, Partisans, Poets, and the Race to Save Jewish Treasures from the Nazis. Now, today I have the honor to invite the author of this masterpiece, join my show. Dr. David Fishman is a professor of Jewish history at the Jewish Theological Seminary, teaching courses in modern Jewish history. Dr. Fishman is the author of the numerous books and articles on history and the culture of East European Jewry. His most recent book, as I mentioned, the book Smugglers, Uh, The partisans, poets, and the race to save Jewish treasures from the Nazis has been hailed as monument men for book lovers and first-rate scholarship that pulses with the beat of a most human heart. Dr. Fishman, welcome to my show.
1: Thank you, Monfei. It's a pleasure to be
0: with you. Well, Dr. Fishman, again, as I mentioned in the intro, I read the book numerous times and every time i begin to read this book it really challenged me to think about the question is dr fishman why did i mean dur- during the, that period it was rather crucial and it was rather challenging for the jewish community to try to think about survive and think of getaway from this ruthless dictator's But why do you think that they even came up with the idea to save those documents or treasures despite the unusual circumstances?
1: That's a great question, and it has many layers of an answer. Um, I would say, um, I think it's fair to say that Jews have a special relationship towards uh, books, uh, going back to the Bible, Because you know they've lived for thousands of years in uh, dispersed, not in a territory, and these are their monuments. These are their great cultural monuments. But uh, they don't have, uh, you know, great statues or great ancient buildings. By and large, it's the books that are their cultural uh, monuments. So uh, I would start with that. Uh, This was all about preserving their their culture and their um identity and i would say just to add one other layer to the answer that the jew this particular jewish community where my book takes place which is vilna had uh, an even more intensive uh tradition of reading of study of sort of intellectual um activity it was a great center of uh Jewish printing of Hebrew and Yiddish printing um, of academies. And so in many ways, this story of people rescuing these books and papers under the Nazis during World War II, this story is a culmination of, you know, thousands of years of Jewish history Mm. or hundreds of years of Jewish history in this city of Vilna.
0: Well, Dr. Fishman, if I'm not mistaken, I remember in the book that you also mentioned, at the beginning, when the Nazis, when they caught the Jewish communities and they caught those so-called victims, they were not quite insightful or they had no idea how to deal with them. And meanwhile, they were so afraid that these people were going to be uh, sort of smarter than them, or they were so afraid that because they're lacking of knowledge about the uh, the uh, the captures, so they were trying to figure out to understand how to connect with them, or even how to uh, um, really to get into their minds. But why do you think it was so difficult for the Nazis uh, to understand their culture or why do you think there was even to uh, can be used the word intimidated by their presence?
1: Mm. Well, I think the Nazi attitude towards the Jews, um, was paradoxical on the one hand in the official ideology, you know, Jews were considered subhuman, you know, vermin, um, um, And therefore, you know, uh, deserving extermination. But on the other hand, you're right that they had this other image of the Jews being some kind of superpower, some kind of, you know, real menace. If you're a menace, you are a threat to the Aryan race. Obviously, you have tremendous power and ability, and that's why. uh, So, it's true that I think the Nazi mind sort of raced back and forth between seeing the Jews as utterly inferior to this kind of fear of their tremendous, uh, you know, uh, uh, power, ability, um, acumen, smarts. And uh, I, I would describe it in those terms.
0: Mm. Well, Dr. Fishman, I remember you um, mentioned in your book that the first time that was probably like thirty years ago, and you were in you were invited um, to this uh, church, and you were br- uh, you were brought to the site, and you were presented to all these documents for the first time, and to say, hey, listen, uh, um, I-, I want you to take a look at uh, all these preserves and there's something left, and that we discovered. So, can you share with me a little bit? How did you feel when the first time you actually encounter those documents? Because remember. I mean, that was in the early 1941. And I mean, I don't want to say it happens yesterday, but it was just a long time ago. And most of the people and most of the world, they were, I, I, I want to say, probably forgetful or even ready to to eliminate this part of the history in their memory. But somehow this all of a sudden pop up and you were the one who actually brought to the scene to see this. So how did you feel on the spot?
1: Oh, it's hard to reconstruct the rush of emotions because I think it's important to explain uh, maybe some context and then my emotions will be clear. That, again, this is a city where 95% of its Jews were murdered and Mm. exterminated. The great, um, uh, whatever major Jewish communal buildings existed, like the synagogue, the great synagogue were destroyed. The old Jewish cemetery was destroyed. So when I saw these piles of books and papers, this is what's all, only thing that was left of this community. Mm. The people had been killed. Their buildings had been demolished, right? There was all we have left of them is you know the written record, of whatever they wrote and whatever they published so i was moved to tears i um uh, and the second tragedy which you sort of alluded to but on top of that that great tragedy you know for more than 40 years after world war ii this material was lying you know hidden actually or unavailable to anybody basically mountain in other words adding insult to injury that uh, under the soviet union uh this material was you know not taken care of was neglected so the the level of the tragedy um struck me then uh on the other hand i must tell you i really felt like i was i'm sorry if it sounds self-aggrandizing but that I was performing an important mission. Mm. These people, these past generations were looking down at me from heaven and saying, you know, do your job, you know, catalog it, assess it, um, evaluate it, bring it to light so that people can can have um, access to this uh, legacy.
0: Mm. And also, Dr. Fishman, that in the book, you know, There are a couple, I mean, there were so, to be honest, there were so many parts that after reading the section, I literally had to close the book and I really had to take a step back and then ponder upon the context and then literally wrote down the question or asked the question is these people and they were devastated and they were greatly affected by the circumstances and environment under this Nazi negative influence. And also, the, of course, the whole world was in chaos at the moment. But these people, they had their secret languages, or they have their secret ways to to communicate with each other in terms of understanding their own identity. Now, here's a question, Dr. Fishman. How important or how significant do you think for these people, based on your understanding to really stay who they were at the moment. So in other words, they were I mean, they were born into this world and they believe they all had a mission to accomplish and they all they all believe they had their own task to fulfill in this universe, but all of a sudden everything's changed because the, the born of this dictator or because the of the existence of the evil power. Now, their identity could face tremendous threat. So how important do you think it is for them to stay who they were? And how could they continue to keep the authenticity of themselves?
1: Wow. You know, on one level, they couldn't avoid being Jews because the Nazis had defined them as such Mm. and, and locked them up in a ghetto um uh you know in a in a secluded you know part of town with a wall around it and they were you know marked in every sense literally with a um yellow star of david either on their sleeve or on their back so i couldn't say in that sense that they're um they could lose their jewish identity the nazis made sure of that but um These people thought that identity is not only, I don't know, a formal external thing, but it has to come with cultural content, Mm. you know, with books, with um, heritage, and that even in the worst of times when Jews had to worry about having enough to eat, not falling ill, and not being shot um, or deported, uh, that even in those times, um, uh, culture and cultural content in your life is, is essential. And they weren't willing to give up on that. And I think that's what, especially this group of people that were rescuing books and papers, that's mm. what they felt, that um, we, you know, we have to live. Continue to live a dignified life, and a dignified life um, means a life with um, with content, with poetry, with uh, books of all kinds, with music, with art, and so they devoted themselves uh, what they thought would be their last um, days of their life, you know, to that.
0: Hmm. Well Dr. Fishman, I'm very glad you used the word poetry now I want to read something to you and also this is also from your book. This is was part of the poetry that that I I read many times just to understand the intensity and also the the um, the unimaginable pain that went through you know each human being under that circumstances. this is how it goes. Quiet, quiet, let's be silent. Dead are growing here. They were planted by the tyrant. See their bloom appear. All the roads lead to Pona now. There are no roads back. Father too has vanished. And with him, our luck. Now, of course, throughout the book that you also documented, there are so many more similar poems that um, um from expressed uh, how can I say, the, the gravity of this, uh, of the Jewish community uh, under the circumstances. Now, but but based on the simple description, do you think that they were, you, you could sense when you were writing this book or w- when you were going through this, you know, uh, on the documents, could you sense of this despair in them? Or they were still struggling internally to say, I know it's going to get better if we can just form unity. or Maybe they could say, this is our life. This is it. We might as well just, you know, face the music. So h- how do you think a- about putting the poem in this book? Like, what message are you trying to tell the readers?
1: Well, as far as the ghetto inmates, it's a little hard to generalize. Though my heroes, my ma- my main heroes in this book, um, two main heroes were poets themselves, and the poem you read, you know, by by the poet Shmerke kacherginsky mm. it starts it starts with despair, you know, as you read, but actually, if you go on on the same page, it ends with that poem ends with hope that someday this city will be um, freed and life will renew itself and stay strong. It's a lullaby, after all, sung to a child. Uh, Right, father has left. So it ends, stay strong, my child. So uh, I think that gets the full um, spectrum of emotions. It, a poem that starts with despair and ends with hope. And I think uh, Jews in the ghetto um, vacillated back and forth between despair and hope.
0: Mm. Well, I mean, that's a really good point. Now, before reading your book, Dr. Fishman, I read couple books on Adolf Hitler and also, you know, his lifestyle and his leadership and also how he rose from nobody to this uh, top notch leader, you know, during that transition or eventually um, to try to have this greed to dominate the world. Now, but one thing I wanted to clarify with you, maybe you can help me to understand is some experts or some author pointed out that Adolf Hitler, he actually did not have much resentment towards the Jews as much as he was afraid that the Jews in the ghetto were going to have this rebellious attitude or form their own groups in order to turn against the leadership. So in other words, Adolf Hitler, he was so afraid that this whole uh, brand new system or this brand new group of people, they were eventually became so powerful and they were to going to overthrow the entire uh, 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 regime under Adolf Hitler. Do you think that really, do you think is is that way? Or you think that Adolf Hitler just, just because his personal hatred or because his personal reason. So that's why he, he put the Jews in the ghetto or eventually try to manipulate them to rewrite the history.
1: Well, I think Hitler's personal anti-Semitism was quite old. You know, he wrote his book, Mein Kampf, My Struggle in the early 1920s. And it is, in other words, uh, 10 years before he even came to power. And it's full of anti-Semitism. So his personal anti-Semitism goes back and uh, it, it based, it's based on stereotypes uh of, of jewish ugliness uh jewish you know uh, immorality uh the jewish threat uh to, to so and, and these are you know this is not just one man this is hitler this was a trend in in modern europe mm. especially in late 19th century and early 20th century um Uh, well, Central Europe is what matters for Hitler, Austria and and Germany. Uh, So Hitler was the culmination of, uh, you know, of of an anti-Semitic movement and tendency, which is, you know, many peoples, we all can fall into this trap of needing an enemy to blame, needing someone to blame for everything that's going wrong, uh, whether it's a... um, you know, external enemy, some foreign power, or an internal enemy, you know, some kind of minority, uh, ethnic or um, religious. And so Hitler, I, th- I think, really believed these terrible things about Jews, but he also knew that it could be manipulated, that you could really um, garner a lot of popularity <laughs> uh, among the masses by blaming everything on.
0: The Jews. Hmm. Well, Dr. Fishman, I mean that was actually a good point because I got one more question about your book, and then we're gonna move on to the next topic. Is why I mean I don't I'm gonna be careful about this question. Is why do you think whenever there's tragedy hits the world, people tends to blame Druze for the mistakes? or for the failures of something. So in other words, I mean, this is this is not what I'm saying. I've been told and I've heard, even though I travel around the world, and people are still asking the question is, throughout the history, if anything goes wrong in the world, we got to find reasons in the Jews first, because they ought to take the blame first. Why is this happening? Or why do you think people have this mindset?
1: First of all, let me just say, in general, as I was saying just before, it's the tendency to blame, you know, the outsiders or those who are different is universal, right? I've now lived through a difficult time in the United States when we were trying to, well, we were, our government was trying to vilify uh, immigrants and Muslims. So I would never claim that, you know, the only group that's been vilified in um in history is the Jews, mm. but but there is a special you know the Jews stand out in the Christian world. This small minority, the Jews, you know, never more than two or three percent of the population anywhere uh, on a, on a national level. Uh, you know, this small minority, but very different. You know, with a very different religion with a very different uh, language and culture you know the outsider those who are different are are always the easiest target for vilification mm. it's just that in the jewish case it goes back thousands of years and therefore it has built momentum and uh, steam and power over the centuries
0: mm. Well, Dr. Fishman, let's talk about something It's happening today in uh, um, in your neighborhood. We know that President Trump had four years of this presidency in the White House. And in terms of understanding the relationship between the United States and Israel. So in other words, when President Trump was in the White House, people, people could say, President Trump actually elevated the statue of Benjamin Netanyahu or the entire nation of Israel. Meanwhile, he naturally created enemies or created foes across the aisles. So today, from your perspective, we just had a brand new president. You know, it's about 10 days ago. So from your perspective, how do you think Joe Biden... It's going to either acknowledge the existing relationship with the Jewish community or, from your perspective, that he's going to um, make changes or make possible a uh, minor or smaller changes in terms of what Trump did before.
1: Hmm. I must tell you, I'm not really a political commentator or analyst on current events. I'm a professor of history, maybe 50 years from now. If I'm still alive, I'll have a good historical perspective on this. Uh, I, 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 I think there are really two, I guess, related, but still distinct issues. One is relations towards the state of Israel, and the other is relations or the attitude towards the Jewish minority in the united states mm. uh, and uh as far as you know embracing clearly a, a pluralistic vision a vision you know of a, of a united states that has many religious groups and many ethnic groups and and and, and one in which you know jews are respected and um I, i'm quite hopeful that uh, under the new administration that we will see a much more tolerant and pluralistic environment and that uh, white supremacism and this kind of neo-Nazism, you know, will not be countenanced, will not be tolerated. So I think for Jews in America, this new administration is, um, you know, very,
0: uh, I'm hopeful. Mm. Well, Dr. Fishman, let's go back to your book. Again, as I'm holding this book, and I'm, I'm again, flipping the pages as the co- conversation carries on, Dr. Fishman, I don't know if someone ever asked you this question, but I I mean, I hope, I hope I could be the first one. When you finish writing this book, is there anything that you couldn't include in the book? So I guess I'm saying, is there going to be another continuation of the volume two? Of the book Smugglers? Because, again, I I, I don't believe, or I'm sorry, I don't buy that this is all you can get from what you taught or from what you uh, witnessed and what you touched uh, 30 years ago. That when you first time saw all these important treasures, was there anything that you wanted to put in the book, but you just didn't get a chance to do it?
1: Um. You know, the book is a, star, is a historical story. It's a real, you know, real life event. I don't want you think your listeners to think this is a novel or fantasy. Everything was really documented. Um, and uh, uh, you know, my main challenge, as it is for a scholar like myself, is to cut out things because if you tell too much you lose the reader's interest the reader doesn't want to know all the details Mm. so you have to really make a so i left things out but i don't think there's anything i left out that um i regret um i don't think there'll be a volume two again because uh uh well, I guess volume two would be my memoirs, wouldn't it now, you know? <laughs> well, I didn't. yes. Know As you just asked me, you know, you asked me about what was my feeling when I first saw that material in the early 1990s. I didn't go into that in the book. I didn't want to write about myself. So I guess if there will be a volume two, I will tell the story that you asked about, about my experiences re encountering this, uh, you know, treasures, you know, in the 1990s.
0: Of course, Dr. Fishman. Now, I'm going to, again, read something to you from the book that you uh, you uh, recorded. The big day arrived. 35 boxes weighing 400 pounds landed at New York International Airport on February twenty-second, 1995. Now, accompanied by the head of the Lithuanian Central State Archive, Dr. Fishman, 35 boxes weighing 400 pounds. I mean, these are just, I mean, when I I read those things, these are don't, I mean, these are not just numbers. I mean, these are histories, and they are going to continue to tell stories, continue to shape the future of the Jewish community and let people remember what happened to the Jews in the ghetto under this uh, ruthless dictator, so, Doctor Fishman, I got two more questions before letting you go. Number one is the heaviness from this treasure. How much do you think it matters to the younger generations today? Because I mean, if we look at the of the people today, if we even though we 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 ask them to read about history on anything, I mean, this attitudes can be rather ambivalent or ignorant. So so how do you think we should educate the younger generations, not just in America, but across the world, to understand the history like 35 boxes and weighing 400 pounds to them?
1: Well, I'll tell you what I do <laughs> as a teacher, especially now in this age of the uh, uh, coronavirus. Mm. Uh, Two, two things. One, I show a lot of images. Mm. I show a lot of pictures when I talk about history I talk about a person I want them to see their portrait. If I talk about a community or anything like that, I want them to see uh, books. In other words, young people have to say this you know to make it vivid, not to you know to be a droning on you know professorial head talking in the classroom. And I also bring in um, what I think young people like the most, music Mm. and song and art. And all of a sudden, you know, also music and song and art produced then, back then, yes, before World War II. But still, it's beautiful music. It's catchy music. And then um, somehow students start to realize This is not just the past. Mm. This somehow affects my life now. This continues on now. This has value for me now. I like that song. I never heard it before, but I like it. And look at that interesting picture and that interesting street. I can almost imagine myself uh, being there. So I try to, uh, and I think that that is the trick. It's not to scold our students and to admonish them, but it's really to, to do our best to make it come alive
0: for them. Well, Dr. Fishman, the last question I want to ask is, of course, the book Smugglers, this is one of the amazing books that I read. And again, um, with our, our, our audience listening to the show and watch this interview, I hope and I pray that everyone is going to immediately get online to get a copy of this book and started to dive into the amazing part that what you recorded. Now, the last question, Dr. Fishman, to you is, is there anything besides your book? Is there anything else that you also encourage our readers to check similar or even uh, uh, much deeper into this historical evidence regarding the Jews in the ghetto or regarding this unforgettable memories about this part of the history?
1: Wow, that's a um, uh, a, a great uh, question. I think anyone who's interested in the Jews, um, if I have to... Uh, suggest one book to get your hands upon. It's called uh, The Cultures of the Jews. The Cultures Plural, and that really is a very fine introductory book on the many different places Jews have lived and and the many different uh, subcultures in Jewish life from from after all (coughs) the Muslim world the Far East um, through all of Europe and the Americas. I think that would be a great book uh, to study. Um, uh, On the Holocaust, there is a rich literature. Um, And I guess um, the the, the greatest history of the Holocaust is by Saul Friedlander, um, the destruction of European Jewry. So there is much, uh, uh, Friedlander is the author's name. So there is much to learn and there's much out there. and my main thing I would like to encourage uh, your listeners is uh, never be afraid of people who are different. Mm. Uh, be excited by that. Be interested by that. And diversity is what makes the world rich and and interesting. And um, I hope we can all be open and I hope that I can also be open to learning about, you know, other cultures and other peoples.
0: Absolutely. Well, Dr. David Fishman is a professor of the Jewish history at the Jewish Theological Seminary. And again, he's the author of the book, The Book Smugglers, Partisans, Poets, and the Race to Save Jewish Treasurers from the Nazis. Dr. Fishman, Thank you so much for being on my show. And of course, it's has been an enjoyable moment for me to talk to you. And again, thank you so much for taking your time to tell us about an amazing book, the book you just wrote. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Monkfey. Good luck to you.